0: Jesus' name. Amen. So I read through uh, Acts 13, Paul's sermon in Acts 13 and the response, and I, I think we got the general idea of what's going on. Paul goes to a synagogue. He presents the uh, a very brief, if you want a very, very succinct history of Israel, this is it. Um, Paul moves quickly through the story of the Old Testament, brings us up to Christ, and and the resurrection and what it means. And the reason that Paul was doing that, the reason that Paul is doing it is because the the people in this synagogue have not heard. And Paul is thinking, well, I have met my Messiah. I have met the one the prophets foretold. I have met the one that the law reflected. Um, I have encountered him. His, I have new life in him. And I want to share this with everyone who shares my faith. Now, remember, Paul is a law-abiding, a Torah-observant Jew. He is not some uh, Roman out there just doing whatever he feels like doing. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Jew of the Jews. He says it himself, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This is a guy who took his faith as a Jew very seriously. And having encountered the resurrected Christ, he takes his faith as a believer very seriously and thinks, everybody who believes what I believed before should want to hear this. And Paul, who apparently has no filter just goes ahead and tells it to this gathering, this synagogue gathering. Now you need to know a little bit about the Jews in the Roman world to understand uh, why this causes so much waves. There was a little bit of animosity between the Jews who were living in the Roman Empire, the Greek-speaking part of the empire, as opposed to those who were living in what is today Israel. The ones who lived in Israel, the ones who lived around Jerusalem, that area, they still spoke Aramaic, which is a language close to Hebrew, and of course they had the temple and they had Pharisees who were wandering teachers, kind of, and they they had the priesthood. They had a lot of stuff going, and they had kind of a... Pseudo nation state thing going. They they weren't quite an independent country, but they had their own king for a while, and and the Roman governors pretty much left them to do their own thing. And um, now the Romans thought they were a giant pain, um, but the but the Jews living in that area they thought things were going pretty well. Um, the Jews that lived in the rest of the empire. Uh, generally, didn't worry about too much about Jerusalem and the temple. They 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 paid their tax to take care of the temple. Um, they 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 did their thing and they they had an affinity with them. But they weren't dealing with all the sectarianism you read about in the Gospels. You read through the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Scribes and Sadducees, and they're fighting with each other and they're arguing outside of outside of Israel and Syria. That really wasn't a concern. The Jews that lived outside of Uh, of that area. They were Greek speakers. They were generally, most of them were were, um, scribes, clerks. Many of them were soldiers. Um, They took Roman names as soldiers. Uh, One of the commanding generals of the army of Vespasian. Um, was an was uh, Egyptian Jew uh, named, Whose name was Tiberius Which is a very Jewish name um, But uh, no it's not It's a very Roman name um, But, uh, but there, uh, the Flavius Josephus If you've heard the stories of Josephus He tells the history of the Jews um, In that time period He's a, he's a Hellenic Jew A Greek speaking Jew um, And they, they kind of had their own thing going They were, they were independent they, they had their synagogues um, and synagogue is just a big word that means to gather together. Um, and as long as you had ten Jewish men, um, and that was the rule, it, it was that was the way it was. If you had ten Jewish men, you had a synagogue because the idea was um, that the logic of this was if you have ten. Men, you have ten incomes. If each one of those ten incomes tithes, which means gives one tenth, that equals another income, which would pay the salary of a master of the synagogue or, or what you know, a, a head rabbi kind of a thing. And so you had you had ten, you had a synagogue, and that was the deal. And this synagogue seems to have been pretty big. Um, and it's they see these uh, Hebrew-speaking, Aramaic-speaking uh, Jewish brothers come from. Um, from uh, Antioch, which is in Syria, modern-day Syria. And they show up and they sit in the back of the synagogue. Now, that's how they would have done it. They weren't members of the elders of that synagogue, so they wouldn't sit up in the front. Um, and synagogues had... That should be better. People at home were kind of confused. Paul, Paul stands up and he says, I've got, I've got some words and then proceeds to preach. Now, this was not what they expected. They're expecting somebody to stand up and say, it's very nice to be with all of you. I appreciate the opportunity. Does anyone want to invite me home for lunch? That's what they're expecting. Legitimately, that's the rabbi traveling rabbis would ask for food and lodging. That was what they did. Instead, Paul stands up and says, I got a story for you. He says, look at all this stuff. Moses, the law, the people of Israel, Egypt. We all know this story, but i got to tell you, David was their king. David is dead, but the offspring, the seed of David is alive. They tried to kill him. He came back from the dead. You need to hear about this guy. He is the message of hope. He is the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the real deal. The Messiah has come, and he wasn't the Messiah we thought he'd be. And the Jews, the Greek-speaking Jewish leaders are going, oh yeah? He says, this is what He is, man. This is the good news, the Son of God, the incorruptible One. And isn't this fantastic? God has raised Him up. He did not see corruption. Brethren, this is the hope we could not have in the law of Moses. He says in verse 38 and 39, let it be known... To you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This is Jewish heresy. The Jews believe that forgiveness of sins comes from observing the temple ordinances, paying your temple taxes, sticking to the law. And Paul says, no, no. He says, this man the descendant of david because he's been raised from the dead brethren it is the forgiveness of sin by him Everyone who believes is freed from everything. What he means is his sins. He's freed from his sins, not freed from everything, everything. From which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Every time you tried to observe the law perfectly and you blew it. Every mistake that we've made. He says everything that we were worried about whether we were good enough to observe observing the Torah in order to get through. Everything that we had forgotten and not offered a sacrifice for. Everything that we could not be forgiven through the law of Moses, he promises us forgiveness of it all. He says, Please listen. Don't don't turn your back on this. Please open your eyes and your heart. See what I've seen. And the people, the people, and there's a distinction between the people and the Jews. I want you to see this. In verse 42, if you have your Bible, it says, The people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. This is an intentional distinction. There is a distinction in uh, the writings of the, the, the apostles. When they say the people and they say the Jews, usually what they mean by the Jews, which is usually capitalized in our Bible, is the leaders. The people is the regular people, the average people, the, the lay people, quote-unquote synagogue breaks up and all these people you know some of the Jews devout converts they're following they want to know they're and and Paul is saying no no you you just just listen this is what I said it's the grace of God and I imagine the Jews going always say so what do you mean by forgiveness of sins I mean let's talk about this from a Torah point of view and Paul is going no 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 grace of God forgiveness of sins through Jesus okay yeah 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 Jesus so he's a good teacher right so he teaches us a new way to observe the Torah it's a better way to observe the Torah you know that's what you mean by this forgiveness of sins you mean that like we don't have to go to Jerusalem, we don't have to pay the tax, he, he's going to open the door for us. And, and, and Paul, I mean I just picture Paul going, what part of what I said did you not understand? And the next Sabbath comes. The whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. Now this is a Gentile city. This is a non-Jewish city. The Jewish, con- the converts to Judaism, notice in verse 43, 43 it talks about the converts to Judaism, those were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. They were they, were on, their method of being, they were on their way of being proselytized. They were joining into Judaism. Most of them probably, although we can't be sure because the text doesn't say it, most of them are probably Gentile men who have married Jewish women, all right? And so they are, they are converting to Judaism. That's kind of how, how it was working in the Roman Empire at the time. We can't be completely sure. But they probably go back to their places of work So all these Roman soldiers, Roman clerks, tent makers, whatever they were, uh, butchers and bakers, they go home and they say, I was at synagogue Saturday or Friday night. And you will not believe what this guy said. It was wild. And they start talking about it. And so the whole city comes to see. And the Jews do exactly, the leaders do exactly what Paul begged them not to do. He said, don't scoff at this. Don't reject this. Now, why is this in Paul's mind so important? Because that's what he did. Before he became a believer, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He knew what it was like to be so blindly ideological about his religion that he totally missed the point of what his faith was supposed to be about. He says, please don't do this. And yet when they come and they're filled with jealousy and they begin to contradict him what Paul was spoke was spoken by Paul reviling him now notice that Paul is not speaking there so the image that we have in this situation is the, the synagogue gathers again Probably all of the Jewish leaders are looking around as people continue. This is not a building, by the way. We're not talking about you know, the city was overflowing, we were exceeding social distancing or anything. All right, This, is, this probably would have happened in an open space in the, te- in the city, probably down by a river. They like to gather by rivers. And people keep filtering in. And the Jewish leaders are going, this is a problem. Because they don't like people converting. They like to control this. They don't like new teachers coming and messing up the system. They don't like somebody coming in and how dare he. They, he didn't just work with us. He's, he's on his own. Um, and in this, Paul is very much like Jesus. He's a, he's a dissident. He's a disruptor. He is, he's messing with the status quo. And so rather than let Paul speak... Now, in verse 42, it says, The people begged that these things might be told them to the next Sabbath. So why is everybody coming together? They want to hear from Paul and Barnabas. They want to hear the resurrection. They want to hear about Jesus. But when they get there, the Jew, Jewish leaders all stand up and they go, Okay, okay, okay quiet, quiet, quiet. Okay. <clears throat> Last week... You heard some information. First of all, the synagogue of Antioch, Pisidia would like to mention that the views expressed during the synagogue are not the views of the synagogue itself. All right. Then they begin to talk about how everything that he said was wrong. They begin to accuse him. They revile him. They say this guy. What does he know? You don't know him. You, he doesn't know us. He clearly, we, we're not going to listen to him. And there's this moment in verse 46 where Paul and Barnabas spoke out loudly. Now, Paul is a bad influence on Barnabas. Barnabas is the son of encouragement. So I always picture Barnabas being the guy who says, all right, well, let's talk about this. Let's, let's, how can I be an encouragement to you? Paul, on the other hand, is, Wah! They both stand up. Now, this is not how it happened. But again, I have a warped brain. So in my image, because Paul is a shorter guy, I picture him jumping up on Barnabas's shoulders and going, Hey, hey, hey He says, It was necessary. He says, We we spoke the word of God to you, we came here, we told you the truth. You refuse to accept it. You have thrust it aside. And he says and, and he, he issues a condemnation. He says, To take the resurrected Jesus and thrust it aside is to judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. You would choose your religion over the hope in the resurrection. You would choose your version of the Messiah one day rather than the present and resurrected Messiah. So we will turn to the Gentiles. Now, this is what, again, in my mind's eye, this is what I see. Them stand up in the crowd. They shout down the, the Jewish leader. Now, I, I, I think, and again, this is, this is reading between the lines. These Jewish leaders are trying to calm things, tell everybody how it's supposed to be. Paul and Barnabas stand up, start shouting. The Jewish leaders are trying to shout over them. And I think the crowd makes the Jewish leaders be quiet so that they can hear what Paul and Barnabas are saying. This is, this is like, let's listen to this guy. Let's hear what he says. Behold, and this is what I picture, because in a synagogue, Gentiles were not allowed to sit in the congregation. So you had the leaders, you had the men and women either sitting side by side or front and back, and then Gentiles had to be outside of the barriers of the synagogue. They had to stand outside of the communion. They weren't allowed to be in the congregation. And Paul is standing in the back of this group. He begins to speak, and I think that Paul actually does this. He goes, now I'm turning to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles lose their minds. Look, he says, I've made you. He says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Why? Because the Jews had made it so hard to be in relationship with their God. They they put all kinds of barriers and and restrictions, and they they said, I mean, for one thing, they told all the Roman men they had to be circumcised. At which point, most Roman men went. Thank you, but no, thank you. They they had all these requirements about what you could eat and you couldn't eat. They had all these, these rules and they, they intentionally made it incredibly hard to believe in their God. Now, now, we know from Scripture, looking backwards, that they had an intense xenophobia. They hated the idea of the Romans and the Greeks. The Jews thought that they were superior. They had a cultural superiority issue, these Jewish leaders. They didn't want the Gentiles to to have communion with their God, which was in direct contradiction with the statement, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, which comes from the prophets. When Paul turns around and says, So we've turned to you. And the Gentiles realized that the God the Jews kept away from them, came and was raised again to be with them. They lose their minds. They are celebrating. They are rejoicing. It is the scene from the Third Baptist Church in Blues Brothers. There are people on trampolines. They are excited because the word of the Lord has come. And those who choose to reject the eternal life, that's their choice. They push it aside. But these Gentiles, they are out of their minds with joy that the God they thought was untouchable, the God they thought was unreachable, had saved them through Christ. And all they had to do was believe. Resurrection Sunday is about simplicity. It is the most absurd simplicity in the universe. If you don't think that the resurrection is completely and utterly illogical, you haven't thought it through. It's extraordinarily true, but completely unnatural that someone would die and then be raised from the dead. And not right away. Not like you know, a, you know, ER, or one of the medical things was like, we've lost him. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. And he comes back to like, he was dead for three days. He was dead, dead. He's only mostly dead. He was completely dead. It was a Princess Bride reference. For those of you too young to know what that movie is, you should watch it. Um, this was this was a message that this was extremely. The resurrection is is, is ludicrous from human standards. And yet, extraordinarily, if there is one who was raised from the dead by God, who no longer sees corruption, then, then belief is simple. Despite its ludicrous nature, it is completely simple. The one who was raised from the dead, who proclaimed himself to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead, if he says that salvation belongs to us to those who believe it's true it's just just stop stop arguing with raised from the dead stop trying to look for logic and reason on it stop trying to look for a warm fuzzy feeling that says yeah i should be a christian you know because because suddenly i had this warm fuzzy in my belly that made me feel like being a christian would be a good thing if jesus is raised from the dead then nothing about anything that we might argue against what he had to say matters. Now, we don't like that. We like to believe that we can reason ourselves into understanding. But see my previous statement. Resurrection, ludicrous. I think we can all agree somebody being dead for three days and then being raised from the dead with no you know, AED or anything like that That's ludicrous. And it makes all of our arguments not count. For me, if there is no resurrection of the dead, there is no point to faith, church, or anything like that. It doesn't matter. I've told people repeatedly, I'm an atheist who can't get past Jesus. I would love to not have to believe in the Bible because it would free me to do so many things but I can't get past Jesus. If he is just one-tenth of what he is in the Scriptures, it doesn't matter. If he's raised from the dead, all of my arguments are null and void. Now, I can't convince you that Jesus was raised from the dead. I, I can't. I can't offer a scientific experiment that proves it's possible, because it's not. It's not. Empirically, resurrection from the dead is not possible. Scientifically, it doesn't happen. Walking dead notwithstanding, it doesn't happen. And yet, I know it to be true. I trust it to be true. My faith is not in in my ability to believe in the resurrected Christ. My faith is in the acceptance of the reality of the resurrected Christ. My belief comes from accepting it as real. I can't argue with you that it's true. I can only tell you that it is. And you can disagree. That's okay. I'm not going to judge people that disagree. I'm not going to sit there and say, you're out, you're not allowed to come anymore. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ... Died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day, a heart that had not beaten began to beat. Blood that had not flowed began to flow. Muscles that had not moved began to twitch to life. Lungs that had not taken a breath of air in three days were filled with breath. And by the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stood up and walked out, and in that moment declared salvation to any who believe. I can't convince you that it's true, but I can tell you that it is. And you can do what you do with that. The Apostle Paul believed that everything changes, and it was a message for all of us. This is what Resurrection Sunday is. It is not only a commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus, it is a reminder of new life, of new hope, of salvation to any who believe. His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, but his body being broken and his blood being shed, that's not what saves us. That's not what we remember. We don't just remember that when we observe the Lord's table, which we're going to do in a minute. We remember that the body broken and the blood shed and Jesus dead couldn't stop him. And he came back to life. He was resurrected and the world was never the same again. I want to invite you at the end now to participate in the Lord's table. I invite you to take your um, the elements if you grabbed them in the back of the sanctuary.